Now, one of the things that we've looked at is in this book of Revelation that I want you to, to be comfortable with, uh, especially if you uh, believe in Jesus and, and you've given your heart to Jesus, is you don't have anything to worry about. Uh, when we come to chapter 9 and we talk about the circumstances in chapter 9, you don't have anything to worry about at all because the Lord is taking care of you. The first chapters of the book of Revelation have established that is that Jesus walks in the midst of his church as he's taking care of his people. God is on his throne. Jesus holds the future in his hands. His people are sealed and they are safe and there's nothing to be concerned about. There's one passage of scripture that I would uh, share with you that would summarize what we've said and it would be from the book of Isaiah. And if you belong to Jesus, these words are true of you. And God can say this to you, this is a great comfort to your heart, should be, do not fear, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. When you walk through the fire, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That was God's assurance to his people as they passed through any time of trouble. Any time of trouble uh, from that point forward, once we trust in him, we don't have anything to be concerned about. Now some, as they look at the book of Revelation, see no possibility of, of God's people passing through the terrible years of the great tribulation, which is something the Bible talks about. Uh, however, what I see the Bible saying here is, as we come to chapter 9, is that some of God's people will definitely pass through it, but need have no fear because they are shielded and guarded from its greatest terrors. In the ninth chapter of the book of Revelation, we see some really scary stuff, and it is scary. I have to say that even as I look at it myself and realizing I don't understand the full extent of it, I don't know anyone who does, but these uh, point to some very scary times uh, in our world, a time when unholy terrors will crawl up out of the dark hole where they have been imprisoned, and they will inflict harm on, on people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and so we're going to look at that, begin by looking at it, by looking at the book of Revelation chapter 9, verse 1, and we're going to outline this passage of Scripture by asking eight questions and hopefully answering them. And so we'll look at verse 1 and then ask the first question. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Now, I want to remind you that when the trump, what the trumpets do in the book of Revelation, the trumpets warn. Jesus unleashes events. He's sovereign over the events that happen on the earth. When he breaks the seals, things begin to happen. It looks like as the seals are broken that we come to the very end, except when we begin the trumpets, we see things, it looks like they almost start over again, and we have another movement toward the end, but the trumpets warn. The trumpets are calling people to repentance So, and the events that take place. So number one, the first question that we need to ask is, what is the star 
that had fallen. You see, a star had fallen from heaven to the earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of, it might say in your Bible, the abyss, that is the literal Greek word, abyss. Uh, it means bottomless pit. That's what it means. So it's important that you understand that from the perspective of John, this is a past event. The star was not falling from heaven. It had fallen. It's also important that you see the star is an entity and it has an identity because it's called a he. So it is a personage that we need to know about. Uh, and so we need to understand it from scripture. And so I want to call your attention to Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. And in the book of Isaiah, the Lord tells us about an event that happened in the past, in the long distant past. And he tells us about it sandwiched into a description of a condemnation of a king, of an Old Testament king of Babylon. And so I'll just let you hear the scripture and this will put in context for you how we understand the devil himself and one of his names. So beginning to read uh, in chapter uh, 14, beginning to read in verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, O son of dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the amount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Now, it's from this passage of Scripture that the King James Version translates star of the morning with a name. Lucifer. You heard that name. That's the devil. Lucifer, son of the dawn, star of the morning, who intended in his heart to exalt himself above the stars of God or the angels of God was cast out of heaven. So from this passage of scripture, we understand something that happened a long time ago. So this star that had fallen is Satan himself. For me, that settles his identity. Second, we need to consider his authority. Remember, the future has always been, well, from the time that Jesus died on the cross and rose again until the end of time has always been and will be in securely in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing can happen without his permission. Everything that happens is under his sovereignty even this moment when the angel that has fallen from heaven is given the key to the bottomless pit, is given the authority to do what heretofore has never happened on the earth, he unleashes the demons that are in the bottomless pit. He's given the authority to do that. You say, well, how does God work in that way in that he gives the devil authority to do anything? Well, you remember, I give you two illustrations. One Jesus said to Peter, the devil has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. And apparently he was granted permission and he sifted Peter. But God was sovereign over that. He took care of that. 
Also, in the life of Job in the Old Testament, we see a similar circumstance. We can't go into the details of that, but you who are familiar with the Old Testament will call that to mind. So even the devil has to operate within the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now let's ask a second question. Number two, what is the bottomless pit, the abyss? Well, the bottomless pit, according to the scripture, and we're just looking at the Bible and what the Bible says, not what I say, the bottomless pit is the prison house of demon spirits and fallen angels. Well, how do we know that? Well, Jesus was dealing with a demoniac in the Gospel of Luke in the 8th chapter, and he was filled with many demons, and the demons were requesting permission for Jesus when he was about to cast them out. They said, please don't send us away into the abyss. Don't send us to the bottomless pit. You know, wherever that was or wherever that is or wherever it might be. We know that it's the prison house of fallen angels because in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, this is scripture, God, Peter writing, he said, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. And in Jude, we read in chapter 1, verse 6, and angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept, he has kept, restrained, under eternal bonds, under darkness, for judgment of the great day. So the star that had fallen is given the key to this pit so that he can release these, the inhabitants of this pit on the earth. Verse 2 of Revelation chapter 9. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit. And from the shaft smoke rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth. And they were given power like the power of of scorpions of the earth and power that means power to hurt and power to harm so the next question number three what are these locusts that swarm now just as we saw that the star was not a star but like many of the stars in the book of revelation turn out to be angels and in this case it's a fallen angel the locusts are not locusts now, why then are they compared to locusts? First, they are compared to locusts in that when locusts swarm, they do so in astonishing numbers. Now, think about this. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm painting this picture, and this is a scary picture. Unleashing the fallen angels and the demons that Jesus has consigned that have been restrained in the bottomless pit they are now released in great numbers. How great a numbers? In 1954, in East Africa, there was a locust swarm that left nothing green. Not one leaf on one bush, not one leaf on one tree, not one blade of green grass was left. Scientists, after studying the photographs from 1954, estimated that there were 50 million 
locust per square kilometer, uh, and that, that, that one swarm covered 200 square kilometers, or 77.2 square miles. You think 77 miles north of Loosedale, 77 miles east, west, and south, with 50 million locusts per square kilometer. Kilometers relate to miles a little different. That's just, just that's a whole bunch of bugs. And so that's just completely covered. That's, you can't go outside. You can't breathe. You can't move. And so here we're talking about demons unleashed in great numbers, swarming, massive numbers, swarming across the face of the earth in ways that we don't understand. Second, we need to consider their ferocity. Now, we're given descriptions here, and the descriptions paint us pictures. They paint us pictures that are beyond anything that you could ever dream about. Uh, last year sometime, somebody was awarded an, uh, an, uh, given an award for photography in the insect world, and they had taken a picture of the face of a fire ant. Have you ever seen the face of a fire ant? I, I have that picture on my phone. If you would like to see it later, I'll try to dig it up. It was the most frightening picture I have ever seen in all my life. I would not want to meet one of those that are man-sized. And so simply here, you have something outstandingly frightening, ferocious with teeth of lions and and, 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 and so we look at verse 7. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair. Their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. These are demonic creatures. They're not locusts. They're not bugs. They're not insects. They're not things that you can destroy. They're things that they intend to hurt you, to harm you. They have a thirst for the, for the blood and souls of men and women, boys and girls. Specifically, men, women, boys and girls who are not saved. Now, this leads us to consider the, the limited authority that are given to them. Look at verses 4 and 5. Going back a couple of verses. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, who's going to have the seal of God on their foreheads? And what is this seal of God? Well, we saw the sealed a couple of chapters back, and we learn in chapter 14 about who the sealed are and what this seal is. In chapter 14, the sealed are described as those who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And the seal that's on their forehead is the name of God and the name of the Lamb. They are marked for protection. They are marked as belonging to God. And they are not harmed. They cannot be harmed by these horrors that roam the earth. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone intensely painful. So they have authority, limited authority, and this is a time of judgment that God will unleash on the earth. And they appear in massive numbers and in nightmarish form with merciless fervor 
bringing harm and hurt to all who dwell on the earth. Verse 6, And in those days people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Now, I read, and, and I read, and this is something that I don't agree with. Somebody said, bodies don't sink, bullets don't kill, people are unable to take their own lives. I don't think that's what this is saying. I think it's just saying that like in the time of Job, when Job would have, he would, we wished to die, and he just wouldn't die. I wish my life was over. I wish this was over. I, I don't want to take that too far into that. I'd be very careful about that. So, but unimaginable horrors breaking loose on the earth, torment, stinging, swarming demons, five months is a period of time that's limited by God's sovereignty and determined by God's sovereignty. Now, if you look in, in verse 11, we, you see that those demons have a king. I'm sorry that verse is not on the screen. I left it off. They're, they have a king over them. He's the angel of the bottomless pit, and his name is called in the Hebrew Abaddon and in the Greek Apollyon. And the names simply mean destroyer and destruction. So the next question we need to ask is who is the king of these demons? So you see these demons have a king who leads them. They have a king who is like them. And that king, their king, is your king. If you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're not saved, then their king is leading you and he's leading you to that place revealed by his name. His name is destroyer or destruction. He's the angel of the bottomless pit. He's Lucifer, Satan, the devil, the king of demons. He's, he's the destroyer and he's leading you to destruction. The only ones who are safe when this awful thing happens will be those who belong to God, who have the seal of the Almighty God on them. They will be safe and need not fear any harm from these demons or the danger that they pose. So verse 12 says, the first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Two woes are still to come because they're two trumpets still to be blown. So what is God's purpose in allowing such a thing? God is allowing these things to happen. These are the trumpets will not be heard, but the trumpets release judgments that call men to repentance. And so don't think, well, I can just wait till all this happens. I'll be alert to it. If any of this happens, then I'll know that I need to trust Jesus as my Savior. Don't think that way, and I'll show you why in just a little bit. Verse 13, Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God. Remember, this is the altar from which incense was rising. The prayers of the saints were rising from that altar, and then was cast the, 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 the golden censer was cast to the earth with uh, ashes from the altar, and there was thunder and lightning. Things began to happen. And so you also saw earlier four angels who were restraining God's judgment, four angels holding back God's judgment. But now you see God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. Question number five, what of these four angels from the river Euphrates? 
Now, I've been telling you that you, as you read the book of Revelation, don't get lost in the details. If you get lost in the details, you will get lost. You will get so confused. Don't get lost in the details. You're seeing pictures of things that are happening. You're seeing, you're seeing ideas and, and truths, and, and the truths are greater than the details that, that are listed. And so uh, these four angels are bound they're not like the angels who were restraining God's judgment. These are evil angels. They are bound. They've been bound for longer than anyone knows. They are bound because they are evil. They are bound for the protection of mankind. And as soon as they are released, they set their ambition on killing men. Now, fallen angels and demons are the same thing. So we're, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about demonic forces for ages and ages restrained by God's sovereignty. We know this. Looking again at the verses we looked at, 2 Peter chapter 2, 4, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. And then in Jude, I want to read that verse again, verse 6, angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of that great day, and now they're released. Now, why are they bound at the river Euphrates? Well, as you know, in the Bible, the Euphrates River is pictured as the center of civilization. When uh, the Garden of Eden, one of the four rivers that flowed out of the Garden of Eden was the river Euphrates. We know that when, when Adam and Eve sinned, God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden, but he put an angel there to preserve the way to the tree of life. And apparently there was more going on there than we can know, as I think there always is behind the scenes in Scripture. And so there were also four angels that were bound there that have been restricted since that time from doing any harm to mankind, their passion is to destroy men, and at this point, they will be released. And they also lead an army. They lead a cavalry. Verse 16, if I could get you just to look at verse 16, the number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 and 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. That's 200 million. So now let's ask question number six. What kind of Calvary is this that marches across the earth? Well, I just want to tell you that in the context, in the context, whatever else you want to make out of it and whatever else you want to put in it, in the context, this is not an army from any nation on the earth. Just as the locusts in the first part of the chapter are, are more than locusts, these horsemen and the horses are neither this army are neither horses nor men. They are demon hordes that march across the earth. Verse 17, And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and sapphire and sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lions' heads and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. Notice it's not the riders that kill. It's the horses that kill and torment humanity. They are not horses. They are demonic hordes. And what comes out of their mouth is what kills. Fire and sulfur and smoke. 
are fire and smoke and brimstone. And where do you hear of fire and smoke and brimstone? You hear it out of hell. And it's fire and brimstone that fell out of heaven, that fell on Sodom and Gomorrah and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And it is in that way that they inflict harm and from their tails. So these are ancient evil powers, once restrained, now released by God and unleashed that they might do bidding, do, do God's bidding on the world, restrained under the sovereignty of God, and a third of mankind are killed. 25,000 people in, in George County, that would be over 8,000 people. 300 million people in the United States, that would be 100 million people. Billions of people on our planet would die. That fraction doesn't seem like much, but it's a great number of people. A great number of people, by the way, who are not sealed, who don't have God's mark of protection, who don't have God's name on their foreheads, who don't have the name of the Lamb on their foreheads, who are not the redeemed of the earth as they're described. These sealed are those who are redeemed from the earth, who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They need fear no harm from these creatures. They cannot touch them. So this is the judgment that falls. Now, number seven, why does God release this ancient evil? Well, as I told you, these are warnings. God releases these evils on the world so that people will repent. Now, I know that some people have this theology that one day the church is going to be caught out of the world, and then when the church is caught out of the world, when all of this happens on the world, there will be people saved after that. My Bible does not teach me that anybody's saved after Jesus comes. My Bible tells me that nobody repents after Jesus comes. It's right here. Look at verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thefts. There is a point at which you can say no to God until you will not say yes to God no matter what comes, no matter what happens. Because you have set your heart so that the judgments of God, remember, we're looking at the book of Revelation like the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus, what happens when God pours out the judgments on Pharaoh and his kingdom? Does Pharaoh repent? Well, he gives in a couple of times, but he never repents. Instead, what does he do? He hardens his heart. He hardens his heart. And it ends in a bad way, doesn't it? but not for God's people. God's people are delivered. And so this is the picture you're seeing here, is that it ends in a bad way, but not for God's people. The final question, what's the shelter against the swarm, against these things that come on the earth? Well, the Bible tells us of this day that's coming when the worst of all fears will uh, become a reality, when unholy Terrors will crawl up out of the dark hole where they've been confined and they will seek to quench their thirst with the blood and souls of men. Restrained only by the sovereignty of God, it's designed to bring men to repentance, but the picture is that 
Men are sort of set in their ways, and they don't repent. They won't repent. But the only safe place, the only shelter, is for those who have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are sealed from God's wrath that's going to come on the earth. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, as Paul celebrated the, the, the people in Thessalonica who had come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, we've got word about you that you turn from idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. There is no other shelter from the storm. There is no other hope. There is no other way of salvation other than through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you say, well, I, I intend to trust Jesus one day. I intend to trust him. Well, then you need to trust him today because the Bible says over and over, now is the accepted time, today is the day of salvation. The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart like Pharaoh did, like God's people did in the wilderness. Don't you harden your heart. If God is speaking to you, how do, you say, Brother Eddie, how would I know if God is speaking to me? It's unmistakable. I'm just going to say that. Anybody who's ever experienced God speaking to their heart, Jesus knocking at the door of your heart, even in this book of Revelation, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. The Lord is asking, pleading, calling you to trust him, to follow him. Are you ready to do that? Would you do that today? Let's pray.